You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we thank you for such a beautiful portrayal of Mary and her faith and the example of faith that she is to us. Lord, we ask now that uh, as we open your word, that you will speak directly into our hearts and lives, that as only you can, you will make it come alive because you are alive. That is what we remember and celebrate here today. So through the power of your Holy Spirit, through a demonstration of that power, speak into our lives so that we can know you better and be more like you and believe you for true life. And we ask this in your name. And God's people said, amen. Amen. So once again, it is great to have all of you here. I recognize that there are a number of you who are our guests, and I probably haven't had a chance to meet you. My name is Jay. I'm the lead pastor, one of the pastors here. For those of you who are uh, in our additional seating in the great room, we're glad that you're with us here as well. And uh, any guesses on what we're going to talk about today? It's Easter Sunday. Duh, Pastor Jay. We're going to talk about Easter and the resurrection. And yes, we are. But before we do so, I think it's important that we lead with why. Why are we talking about the resurrection? Why are we talking about, in particular, faith and what faith in Jesus and the resurrection means? And really, to get our hands around this, we have to go back to really the book of beginnings and a historic problem that confronts every single one of us In the book of beginnings, the first book of the Bible in the Old Testament, Genesis, God creates humanity. God creates everything, creates heaven and earth. And Adam and Eve, representing us, are in right relationship with God, right relationship with one another, right relationship with with land, creation, what have you. But they choose to disobey God. They eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is the only tree he told them they could not eat from. And by doing so, sin enters the world and death and disease. And so now there is this pervasive dilemma that faces each and every one of us. We all start out, no matter how spiritual we are, no matter how religious we think we are, in the same place. We have this spiritual cancer in our genes and in our choices, called sin. And yet, in the book of beginnings, God made a promise that he was going to send the one who would come and who would rescue and redeem and restore and renew everything that's been damaged and marred by sin, which is everything and everyone, including you and me. And the resurrection of Jesus is the celebration, really, of God honoring that promise that Jesus would come And by his example of his life, because he was fully God and fully man, he would show us what life really was about, how it was to be really lived. He led the spirit-filled life, a life of right relationship with God, right relationship with other people. And so then he dies. And three days later, he, he rises from the dead. And by you and I putting our hope in that, receiving the reality of Jesus Christ into our lives, receiving him through his Holy Spirit, him literally coming into our lives, we have hope and we have life. 
So why are we remembering the resurrection? Why are we celebrating what faith is? Because it's life, it's hope, it's purpose, and it is accessible, accessible to all of us. So let's just get right to it. What does faith in the resurrection mean? What does really faith in Jesus mean? What does it look like? Because you have faith, right? And the answer is yes. Even if you don't consider yourself a spiritual or religious person, every single person has faith. That's, that's without question, and it's actually really intuitive. You made a faith commitment this morning. Do you know what it was? That we'd actually have a service here at 1045. How did you know we were going to have a service here at 1045? How did you know we weren't going to play a fast one on you and just not show up? And you might rightfully say, well, Pastor Jay, do you like working here? Do you like, and I, and I do. But you made a faith commitment. I know it's a silly example, but you and I, this has really nothing to do with spirituality or religiosity or whatever, or morality. We make faith commitments all the time. The question isn't, do you have faith or do I have faith? The real question that we're going to do business with this morning is, who or what or where is your faith? Who is your faith in? Where have you placed your faith? Why should you place your faith in Jesus? So as we enter the resurrection story and the events that happened some 2,000 years ago, Let's keep this frame of reference in mind. So Jesus, as he himself predicted, and as the Old Testament promised, was going to be falsely accused, unjustly arrested, unfairly tried, mercilessly tortured, and brutally whipped and then killed through the excruciation and humiliation of a crucifixion on a cross. But that he was after three days of being in a tomb, going to rise to life. Well, this is now where we enter the story. This is John chapter 20, and we'll jump right to it. So here it goes. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene, who you saw represented here by Amy, went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb, tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying, and as she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. And he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you are looking for? And thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. 
And Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. I'm ascending to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. So let's just dive right into what we, we just read. So Mary Magdalene, she was one of the last ones at the cross, and she is one of the first ones at the tomb. But when she went to the tomb, she wasn't alone. Did you notice it said we? We don't know where they have put him when she's talking to the two disciples. And we know from reading Matthew, Mark, and Luke that there were other women who, who were with her. John just doesn't mention them here. And the different gospel writers were emphasizing different things, and therefore they call attention to different kinds of details. But there were other women there with her. But the stone has been removed. And the tomb is empty, presumably. So she runs to Simon Peter. And this other disciple, for those of you who maybe haven't been in our John series with us as we've been progressing through this amazing book, this was John, the gospel author, the gospel writer's way of referring to himself. So we know this is the disciple John. So it's Simon Peter and, and John. And she comes to them and says, we don't know where they have put him. Now, who's the they? But honestly, there, there's a deeper question that, that nags at me with reading the opening verses of this story. And I'll ask it on our behalf. What is wrong with these people? I mean, seriously, think about this for a minute. Jesus, in being the Messiah, fulfilled over 300 Old Testament promises. 300 Old Testament prophecies. By some accounts, over 400. So, Jesus by where he was born, by how he was born, by who he was descended from, all these prophecies that he fulfills, all these promises, many that he himself called attention to. If that wasn't enough, Mary and the disciples have been with Jesus for three years. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the healings. They've seen him over and over again prove his identity, not to mention over and over again he has said, I'm the son of man, or I am going to be killed, and on the third day I'm going to rise from the dead. They've heard this over and over and over again and so the tomb is empty on the third day imagine that and they go to the tomb and they say who took the body <laughs> seriously but could it be that we're not so different than them actually for starters me especially but all of us can afford to give them the benefit of that a little bit the speed at which those events were happening the trauma of seeing Jesus horribly killed and just trying to make sense out of all this. There's certainly room for that here. But I think there's another dynamic in play as well. And it's this, that faith in Jesus is impossible. Now, before you fire me, <laughs> give me just a minute to give some context here. Faith in Jesus is impossible in the sense that what is Jesus doing in all the Gospels after he rises from the dead? And we saw it here with Mary. If you read further into John, which we didn't, di didn't do, you'll see it with the disciples. You'll especially see it with Thomas. And we know Thomas as the doubter, doubting Thomas, right? But what is Jesus giving every single person after he rises from the dead? What they need to believe in him. All of them. 
And Jesus himself said earlier in John, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. No one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. So faith in Jesus is impossible without responding to his help. Do you, do you and I get that? Do we appreciate the reality of that? No one wants you to believe in Jesus for who he really is more than Jesus. I mean, sometimes if we're honest, it feels like God is playing hide and seek with us, but that's not reality. No one wants you to recognize and see him for who he is more than Jesus himself. And he will give you what you need to do that. So, when's the last time you asked the Lord to help you believe? Because I know in a gathering this size, there are probably some of you who don't. Or there are some of you, even despite what you know and have responded to, are struggling to believe. Been there myself. So once again, have you asked him for help to believe with what that means for you today? Let's look at Peter. Peter, true to form, boldly goes into the tomb to see what's going on there. And it says he saw the strips of linen lying there. And, and this, this, again, is a word that's loaded with some significance for us. When it says he saw the strips of linen there, it doesn't mean he walked in and went, oh, imagine that, and then walked out. Or just took a glance at it. We actually get our word theory or theorize from the root of this word where it says he saw. So his mind was busy. He wasn't just casually glancing. He's looking there and he's spin cycling, trying to figure out, trying to reason, trying to put the pieces together as to what is he seeing and why is he seeing it. You ever done that? You ever been puzzled by something, not fully understand or understood what you were seeing and your mind's busy and racing? That's exactly what's going on here with Peter. Because you see, the reality is, is that faith is rational and faith in Jesus is reasonable. Sometimes you'll hear people say, I think mistakenly so. Oh, well, you know, you've got to have blind faith to believe in all this Jesus stuff. Really? No, not really. Faith in Jesus is intelligent. It's reasonable. It's rational. You need to seek evidence and ask the hard questions. But the reality is, virtually no one disagrees that that tomb was empty some 2,000 years ago. And once again, the real issue isn't the empty tomb. It's why was that tomb empty? So do your homework. Ask your questions. Don't disengage your brain because faith does need facts. But please understand, evidence helps faith, but it won't fully make faith. So some weeks ago, the staff and I got to get away for a two-day retreat where we did some team building and trust building and working out, you know, how do we work better together? And our facilitator had all sorts of things that he had us do. And one of those things, one of those workshops that we were engaged in together was he took out a mousetrap. And this, for those of you who can't see it, is one of those old school mousetraps. It's the kind that, you know, when you set it and it goes, it snaps. Yeah, that'll ruin your day. So 
he takes out this mouse trap and he says, okay, we're going to do an exercise together. And we're all thinking, and I could, I could tell what was going on with the rest of the crew in the room because they were thinking what I was thinking. I could tell by the looks on their faces. So he takes this trap out and he says, this is what you're going to do. You're going to divide up into pairs. We're going to set these traps so that they're ready to spring. And one of you is going to close your eyes and you're going to put your hand um, up in the air and the person who you're with is going to guide you and give you verbal directions as your eyes are closed. And you're going to put your hand on the trap at the last moment like this. And it won't snap if you do it right. <laughs> and almost in unison, all the eyes of our team turned and looked at me like, <laughs> this is your fault. You invited this guy? Are you going to do this? And I remember saying to our facilitator, you know, I, you know, I'm sensing a little hesitancy. Mr. Sensitive here. Mr. Obvious here. You know, I, I think I'm a little hesitant to do this. And he said, okay, well, let me, let me persuade you a little bit. For starters, he said, I work with a lot of different groups, profits, nonprofits. I've done this with 40 different groups and no one has ever lost a digit. No one has ever got caught in the trap done this over and over again. And we're all looking at him like, yeah, that ain't going to cut it, pal. And so he keeps going and says, okay. And he sets the trap and he shows us how it works and says, look, I'll show you how to do it. And he does it. And sure enough, he lands right on it, takes his hand off. It snaps, but it doesn't get his hand. And he said, see, this works. And so he says, partner up with the person next to you and we'll just, we'll give it a try. Well, Gabe Myers, our, our community pastor was next to me and we partnered up and he said, Jay, I'll do it with you if you will. And I said, I don't trust you, Gabe. No, <laughs> no I'm not, I'm not doing that. No, that's not what I said. I actually do trust Gabe. And this is where we're actually going with this. I do trust Gabe. And I did trust his verbal instructions and I did successfully put my hand on that trap without losing a digit. We took a number of staff to this retreat and all came back with all their digits. <laughs> but evidence wasn't enough to convince me. At some point, I had to make a faith commitment. Not a blind faith commitment, but a faith commitment. And in a real sense, a, a leap of faith. Which brings us to Mary. Mary is such an incredible example of faith to us. She is absolutely determined to find out what happened to Jesus, and she will not give up. She's standing outside the, the tomb crying, and she sees these two angels in white, and they ask her, woman, why, why are you crying? And, and there's, there's some layers here that I think are important for us to unpack. For starters, it says that she was crying, and it goes on to descriptively say, as she wept. And that's all fair. That, that word there can be translated crying, it can be translated wept, but it can also be translated wailing. You ever been so overcome by grief that you have wailed? Honestly, my first experience with that was just a couple of years ago when my dad was dying. Um, my sister and I were um, partnering together to pull 24-hour shifts, um, being up those 24 hours, giving my dad morphine, doing our very best to help him finish in the best way possible as he was in the final, final days of his life. And this is a story for another time, but um, Jamie wasn't there and she, she would have been there to help, but 
the last week of my dad's life, my mom fell and broke her hip, so she was in the hospital. So Jamie was up at the hospital with her, so she wasn't alone. So it was my sister and I pulling these shifts, and I'll never remember. It had been two or three days after we'd been doing this, and I was already just exhausted, not knowing how long this was going to continue. And I was talking with Jamie on the phone, and she said, how are you doing? Are you okay? And just all of a sudden, it found me. And that's what that level of grief does. You don't go looking for it. It comes looking for you. And it's primal, and it's overwhelming, and it's powerful. And this is what it means when Mary was crying. She wasn't just tearing. She was overcome by grief. And she's trying to make sense out of all this. And in fairness to her, this may sound a little off, but it is perfectly reasonable and rational. She thought he might have been the gardener because what we didn't read was in the passage that precedes this, two people went to Pilate, the Roman governor, to claim Jesus' body after he had died on the cross. It was Nicodemus and it was a guy by the name of Joseph of Arimathea. They were both part of the Jewish ruling council. Joseph of Arimathea, Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew tells us, was not only rich, but it was his tomb that he pushed, put Jesus in, put his body in, and it was in a garden. So it's very reasonable that Mary thinks he might be the gardener. All this is taking place in a garden. But again, there are some layers here. Jesus addresses her and says, Woman, why are you crying? What do you suppose his tone was? And we can't know for sure. But do you think it was like how I talked to Jamie? Woman! <laughs> Which I don't, by the way. And she's in this service, so I wouldn't tell you that. <laughs> no, I, I love and respect and value my wife, and that, that's the point here. Jesus will address women three times in this manner. The first we've already seen, for those of you who have been in the John series, in John chapter 2, when he performs the first recorded miracle that we have, Jesus' mother asks him to change the water into wine, and remember, he basically says, woman, it's not my time to be revealed yet. But then he does, the miracle anyway. Do you think he talked to his mom in that instance as, Woman! No. Most likely not. And then in John chapter 8, when Matt preached that, that fabulous sermon about that passage, and um, it was about the woman caught in adultery, and these men have gathered around to stone her, and Jesus basically confronts them, and they all leave one after another and at the very end he says woman is there no one here to condemn you then I don't either go and leave your life of sin I think in those examples we have a pretty good hint of Jesus's tone here but she still doesn't know that it's him and then he calls her by name and what do you think that tone was now, again, we don't know definitively, but again, we have another strong clue. Rabboni is familiar and affectionate and loving by how she responds to Jesus saying her name. We know pretty confidently that it was incredibly loving with how he said her name because you see, faith in Jesus is personal. If the God of the Bible is who he describes himself as, as the creator, intimate, personal God, 
who knows you and I better than we know ourselves, who wants us to know him in a way that a husband knows his wife in the deepest level of, of intimacy, how do you think that God says your name when he calls it? In fact, if he were to call your name this morning, how would he do it? What would the tone be? Would it be disappointed? Disapproving? Condemning? That may be playing out in some of your heads. But do you realize he had reason to be, at the very least, disappointed with Mary? And the disciples, for that matter, with all the evidence they had, with how many times he had told them he was going to rise from the dead, they show up and they think someone took the body. But he wasn't. He wasn't in how he said her name. And some of you, when you hear God, you filter it through your middle name. Do you know when you're in trouble? When you hear your middle name too, J. Franklin Messenger, and the thought of God speaking your name, you're assuming your middle name's gonna be in there as well. Where do we get that? I mean, in fairness, the reality is, and we'll get to this here in just a minute, that faith in Jesus is transformative. He changes you from the inside out. He really does expect you to trust and obey him, not to earn his love, but because you already have it. You see, God's acceptance of us is based on his grace. And grace is God's unmerited, unearned, freely given love for the sake of right relationship with him, right relationship with others, and empowerment to serve him and love others and live out what he calls us to do and be, our true identity. So once again, if he were to call your name this morning, what would you hear? My prayer for you for weeks has been that you would hear his voice this morning calling your name, calling you into relationship with him. And I know that many of you are in relationship with him. But remembering how much he loves you. And man, look at how Mary responds. Man, does Mary get it? It says, do not hold on to me. What's unfortunate is some of the older translations say, don't touch me. I really don't think, and we as a preaching team felt really strongly, that doesn't really capture this. This seems to be far more representative. She's clinging to him. I, I, if I remember some of the other gospel stories correctly, other versions of this, is she's hanging on to his feet. Whatever the case is, he's not saying, don't touch me like MC Hammer. You know, can't touch this. He's not doing that. He's saying, don't, literally, don't hold on to me because I have work to do. I need to return to the Father. It tells us right here he hasn't gone back to the Father yet. And he needs to go back to the Father. But before he does that, he has to go and reveal himself to the other disciples to give them what they need in order to believe in him and to follow him. And look at the language he uses here. Go instead to my brothers, the 11 brothers. How about the 11 betrayers? Where are they right now? The 11 disciples? How about the 11 deserters? Where are they right now? Their father? Their God? Do they deserve that? And the answer is no. Does anyone deserve God's grace? Do you and I? Well, maybe you and I do. But does anybody else? No. None of us deserve God's grace. 
And that's why it's redemptive. You ever denied or deserted Jesus? Of course you have. I, I have at times. And I know this is tough, but let's, let's go there for a minute. Some of you say that you love him. And at some point, you say you received him into your life. But you don't live like it. And you know you don't. And some of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, we're not living for him this morning. We're living pretty much for us. And some of us are profoundly selfish in, in how we're living our lives. And some of us are so busy creating our own truth that we ignore his truth. And he's asking all of us to trust him. And some of us have no intention of doing that. We can't, we won't, and we don't. Now, in fairness, there are a number of you who I know you love the Lord Jesus, and man, you are in the process of being redeemed. You remember that your identity isn't in your past. It's not your sinfulness and your brokenness. It's in who Jesus says you are. But all of us, at times, will go through these, these defining moments where we deny him or we, we desert him because we don't choose to trust him. And we just, we have to remember, you and I both, that the forgiveness of God is intended to lead us to him, to lead us away from sin, to lead us away from those things that just try to pull us back into old clothes that no longer fit anymore, but we still keep putting them on, to use a biblical metaphor. And here's the reality. We don't have to live like that. You don't and I don't. Because the grace of God is transformative. When you receive Jesus into your life, when you respond to the resurrection by saying, I do believe, and I am going to receive him into my life as the source of life, then he begins to change you from the inside out. You see, it's not enough to be religious. It's not enough to be a good person. It's not enough to subscribe to empty religion, to follow some creed or code, because this isn't about a principle. This is about a person. And when you receive Jesus into your life, he literally changes you from the inside out. It's not good enough to be good enough. It's not enough to be moral, because those things change behavior, but they don't address your need and mind for a savior. The only solution for our sin problem is not being harder. It is a fresh, trying harder. It's a fresh start. And that's what Jesus promises us for each one of us. And if you and I will believe that and live that, he will begin to transform us from the inside out. And sometimes I just, I forget what he's done for me. And I love the reality of Easter that it's like this major recentering for all of us on remembering what has he done for us and how are we going to respond to that. And I was reminded of this reality. So there was a shooting, a school shooting, unfortunately, a couple weeks ago at the Covenant Christian School in Tennessee. Do you recognize this person? Those of you who followed the feed and the story, for those of you who don't, this is Catherine, and I don't know if I'm saying her last name correctly, Kunze, Kunz. This is the headmaster of that school, functionally the principal of the school. She was on a Zoom call when the shooting started, and she immediately ended the call, and instead of running from the gunfire, she ran to it. And she put herself 
between the shooter and her kids. All the kids of that school. And it cost her her life. Now, what was distressing to me, quite honestly, was in the news reports. The media response to what followed was, you know, all this controversy over politics and gun control or no gun control and transgenderism and this group saying it was this and this group saying it's all about this. And as I watched those feeds, and that was distressing, but this was what was encouraging to me. As I watched all those feeds and I went back and looked through all of them again this week, not one, not one person was critical of what that principle did. Every single entity looked at that and said, she is a hero. No controversy about that. She's a heroine. She laid down her life for all those kids. And there's something intuitive, there's something visceral in all of us, whether you're a Jesus follower or not, whether you're religious or spiritual or not, that when we see someone who is willing to sacrifice themselves on behalf of another, especially someone who's innocent, there's something powerful in this. I mean, it's all through our culture. Basically, all our movies are about this. Do you know why I'm such a Marvel movie fan? I need to get a life. That's one thing. But another thing is, there's always a message of salvation in there. If you look for it, it's always there. Because it comes from this. Because it comes from the historical reality and fact that Jesus laid down his life for each one of us. But it wasn't because we were innocent. It was because we were guilty. All of us are sinful. All of us are selfish. All of us start out in the same place where we're living our life apart from God and God in his incredible mercy and grace pursues us and invites us out of that, sacrifices himself, rises from the dead, which is what the resurrection celebrates. And if we will appropriate that, if we will respond to that, if we will receive him into our lives as our Lord and Savior, he will change you from the inside out by making you into the person he always created you to be. Do you believe that? That is what we celebrate at Easter because this is what God's word declares. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So my friends, we have a lot to celebrate and remember this morning. I'm gonna invite our worship team to come forward. And we just wanna encourage you to make this your time to respond. There are so many of you who know and love the Lord Jesus. You have received him at some point in your life. You've had that defining moment where you've responded and received to him. Received him. Remember what you have in him. Easter is a huge opportunity for us to remember, to savor, to celebrate what it means that we have Jesus in our lives. Another way of thinking about this is where would your life be without him today? what would you be doing? Where would you have placed your hope, your purpose, your joy? Instead, we need to remember what we have. And there are some of you, you know and love Jesus and you've never been baptized before. 
we would love for you to get baptized today. We have some folks who are going to get baptized here in just, just a little bit after we sing some songs together. Myself and Sean Rowley and the Piper, we're going to be over here at this wall. You come talk to us if you'd like to get baptized and you've never been baptized before. We have systematically removed every excuse that will keep you from doing so today. It's your day. We have clothes for you to wear. We have a towel. The water is warm. It's like a hot tub. Okay, I may be pushing it with that. But there's no reason for you not to get baptized today if you've never been baptized. Because baptism is declaring what Jesus has done in your life. And maybe you haven't received Jesus into your life. Maybe you know definitively, you know what, I just, I'm not sure I've ever been all in. I'm not sure if I've ever truly received him into our life. What are you waiting for? I can't think of a better day to start a new life through Jesus Christ than on Easter Sunday. You do that. I'll lead you in a prayer and how to do that in just a minute, and then we'll baptize you. We'd love to do that. We have communion off to the sides. We give permission here, blessing here for you to get up and go take it. And remember his death, burial, and resurrection in that way too. But whatever it means for you, respond. Respond to the Lord today. And let me pray his blessing over us as we do. God, I thank you for the many in this room, in the great room, who know you, who love you. Would you remind them all over again of what they have in you, the purpose, the hope, the joy, the promises that you give us. Lord, I pray for anyone here who knows and loves you, who hasn't ever been baptized, that they would make that an act of worship, a love response to you this morning by, by choosing to do that. Lord, I pray for anyone here who isn't truly sure if they've received you into their life as their Lord and Savior. God, would you impress upon them the necessity, the urgency of doing that right now? And I pray that just between you and them, they would say, Lord, I want you in my life. And I receive you into my life. I am going to follow you. And Lord, we thank you that you've been here with us, that you are here with us through the power of your spirit. And as we worship you now, would it be genuine? Would it come from hearts that have purpose and hope and joy and life? Because that's what we celebrate today. And we thank you for the power of your word. But most of all, we thank you for you. That we are your people and you are our God. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Pretty fantastic, huh? Yes, love it. Please stand with me as we prepare, unfortunately, to end our time. I don't want to. What are you doing? Are you doing anything until Tuesday? Why don't we just, you know, we'll keep going. So we had some folks who came up to us who wanted to get baptized, but who wanted to wait until they could have some important people in their life here. The next time we do that, I'll just tell you now, the next time we'll be doing that is May 21st. We baptize the third Sunday of every month, and it seems like folks want to get baptized Every month. So if you're still thinking about it, we would love to, to baptize you next month. Just let any one of us with a name tag know. And we talked about the reality of receiving Jesus this morning. And if you've done so for the first time, we would love to hear about that. Any one of us with a name tag, would you tell one of us or tell the person who brought you or just whatever the Lord has taught you or how he's met you this morning. We just, we just want to celebrate that with you. As we prepare to end the service, we have prayer teams up here up front. If there's any 
anything we can pray for you about. We believe in the power of prayer and want to invite you into that. As well as, um, we're offering something next Sunday that we want to call your attention to. It's called Foundations of Faith. And really, this is for folks who just want to grow in their relationship with the Lord. Maybe you've never fully understood what it means to pray and how to pray and how to listen to God or who is the Holy Spirit and how do you recognize him and what does it mean to respond to him and we're just going to walk through things like how do you read your Bible and, and get something out of it and, and, and listen for God speaking to you. We're going to walk through all these really practical things of how to grow in your relationship with the Lord and whether you just received the Lord today, maybe you received him years ago but you've wanted to grow in these ways, we want to invite you personally to come to this class. It'll be during this hour, so come to first hour next Sunday and worship, and then go to this class. We hope that you'll, you'll be a part of it. So with that said, again, thank you for your faithfulness as a church family. You give in so many ways, and we just want to thank you for that. Thank you for all who have participated in making this service a reality this morning, and we just want to pray God's blessing now as we prepare to go from here. It's been a great morning, hasn't it? Okay, let's pray together. Lord, again, I thank you for each person who is here, and I thank you that you are the God who pursues us, that we don't go looking for you. You have come looking for us, and we are so grateful that you are the God who loves us, who extends your grace to us, and then gives us the power and the empowerment to trust and obey you and to believe you for the blessings that you want to give us. So Lord, for each person here, as we go from here, would we remember what we've seen and experienced here this morning? Thank you that you are always present, that you are real, that you go with us through your spirit outside these walls. So would we have an opportunity this week to tell someone why we have joy and purpose and hope through knowing you. And Lord, thank you for the sweet time that we've had here together to worship. Thank you for these changed lives celebrated through baptism. Thank you for Easter and your resurrection. And God's people said, amen. amen. So go and live for him. We hope to see you next weekend. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.